As Samir Nasri makes a return on the pitch, a few pounds heavier and looking worse in his Marseille shirt than Rory does in his, we are wondering if that doctor would still be interested and if he still has her number. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod, ladies and gentlemen. As always, I'm Tomas Adami and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr... Rory, you can follow us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod. Good to be back. It is good to be back. How are we doing, Tommy? Good. You can also find, follow us on Instagram <laughs> if you want at Anglo Italian Pod. I well, know well, that Rory. There. I know well, that Rory there. didn't say it because he was afraid to mess it up once again. Always, <laughs> our, always. Our Twitter handle is at Italian Anglo Pod. Our Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod, and we're sponsored by at Sports Club Maps. Go check them out on Twitter, on Instagram, on their website, and maybe cop a nice little map for your empty-looking apartment. Rory, I'm doing great today, actually. It was a beautiful fall day in Milan, and mm-hmm. this morning I got to take one of my classes to do the lesson in the park. I didn't know that was possible, but they started insisting. I asked the director, and she was like, you're responsible. Take them wherever you want. And I was like, sweet. It was great. Such a hippie teacher. Like, um, what's that film with Robin Robin Williams? Good Dead Poets. Dead, po- Dead, Dead Poets Society. Society. Not Good Will Hunting. Dead no, Poets yeah. Society. Yeah, 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 man. I kind of felt like that, but it, it didn't come from me. They were just like, please, it's such a beautiful day. Can we go? And then I was like, I asked the director. And she was like, take them wherever you want. If anything happens to one of them, you are responsible for it. And I was like, all right, <laughs> fine. Christ. Let's do it. Well, they're 17, 18, so it's fine. Ah, but okay. how are you, Rory? Yeah. How are you doing, bud? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it was a nice day in Milan. My school's kind of the opposite. They're kind of keeping the kids locked indoors, and I kind of feel bad for them. Not in a bad way, but just, you know, not in a nice way either. (laughs) It's kind of weird. (laughs) Nice, Rory. So what are we going to discuss today across our podcasts? I believe we're going to be talking international football in all around the world. We're going to be doing Africa, going to be doing South America, going to be doing Europe, of course. Then we'll be going to back to normal, back to Serie A and the Premier League. Yes. Can't wait. League football's back, guys. League football is back. Um, And then it's the weekly topic. And what's the weekly topic this week, Tommy? Well, uh, our friend Luca, we were supposed to do a very special episode uh, that we're not going to spoil right now. He was Mm -hmm. busy today with work, so he couldn't show up. And so we were like, backup Rory, our favorite football-related videos on YouTube. We've done it already in the past. We really enjoy it. It's a lighter weekly topic than usual, Mm -hmm. but we're sure that you're going to find something to click and enjoy on the tube. But Rory, before we start, any funny news from around the world concerning the world of football? Well, there was one that stood out to me this week, which was in the Sweden versus Greece game. Um, Emil Forsberg, all-round lethal striker, mainly for Sweden more than for his club, but lethal striker. Um, he was caught apparently telling the ball girl, I believe it was, um, that if she kept hold of the ball longer when the ball went out, that he would definitely give her his shirt at the end of the game, which I think is absolutely beautiful shithousery. And almost like, I feel like we're seeing new levels of shithousery at the minute. People are taking it to a whole new world. And I've got to say, I'm completely here for it. Yeah, I found another pretty funny news. Uh, Well, besides uh, uh, Samir Nasri looking absolutely... Uh, Dude, he retired one month month. ago. And I read a post on Instagram that said he's surely been enjoying his retirement for a month. Like, I don't know, he went to McDonald's every day. It looked 
awful in that kit. But I'm, I just think, um, just give him a larger shirt. Just give him a larger shirt. Don't you don't have to do him dirty like that. That was a tight shirt. Can we hear your opinion on this man, Rory Samir Nasri? I can't go into it. I don't like him. I don't like anything about him. He was class for Arsenal. He sodded off at the first opportunity to City, then slagged off Wenger at every opportunity. I just think he's a pretty classless bloke. As the intro even alluded to, like the Twitter storm that he ended up in with this hilarious but awful tweet about this poor physiotherapist or doctor was just... Horrific. He just seems like a man who makes a string of seriously bad decisions. Um, and here he is. I don't know. I just don't like the guy. I just don't like him. But staying in France, uh, Rory, it must be incredible to win an international trophy, even if just the Nations League, alongside your brother. Of course, I'm talking about Theo and Lucas Hernandez. But what's the price that you have to pay for such a special moment in your life? Well, Hernandez got COVID and is ruled out for the game for AC Milan this weekend. And his brother is appealing a jail sentence from the Spanish government. Hmm. Would you pay that price, Rory? For... Uh, no, but I also think if he's been knocking his misses about, then he definitely deserves to pay the price. Like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> what yeah. the fuck is that? Yeah. It came out about Alaba, was it? No, not, no, 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 not David Alaba. I apologize, David Alaba. Jerome Boateng. I get them confused because they both play for Bayern, right? That's why I get them confused. Um, <laughs> I promise. But it came out again about Boateng. There's a lot of problematic stories coming out about footballers at the moment. There's Basuma in Brighton getting done for apparently chatting up underage girls. Lee Griffiths for Celtic. It's getting pretty grim, this world of football, if it's not always been pretty grim. I think Benjamin Mendy is currently in jail as well. We haven't. He is still that. currently in jail. Um, there's some pretty like classless people on Twitter as well, kind of doing prison FC teams and shit, and you're like, come on, guys. Yeah, it's come not. On. Yeah, it's a bit. It's, it's not that funny. Uh, yeah, it's a little grim. Yeah. But Rory, before we jump to the year review, I wanted to ask you one question. So we had a little chat on Monday night about the Ballon d'Or contenders. And we all agreed, <laughs> I think, that in the end, Lewandowski deserves it. But the yeah. other day, I overheard a conversation between two students that at first I was just like, nah. And then I thought about it and I was like, hmm. They were saying it wouldn't be that surprising if they awarded the Ballon d'Or to Nicolò Barella. What do you think? No, 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 I don't think so. I think I think he has as much reason to like be nominated as like any in the other short list. In the short list. Any yeah. other like central midfielder that's there, because he is one of the best central midfielders in the world. But I think because we're like when we talked about the Ballon d'Or, it's basically a popularity contest and how good your agent is, how big your profile is. I feel like Barella's profile isn't quite big enough outside of Italy to get it. That's not to say he doesn't deserve it. I just don't think he'll get it. Well, it was, of course, it's a hot take. I don't. I think there are players that deserve it more. But the fact that he won the title with Inter Milan after mm-hmm. such a long time, and he played a key part in that. He played a key part in Italy winning the Euros. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is. He's building a reputation for himself. And then I actually started chatting with these guys, and they were like, "He's the highest-rated Italian player abroad." But I said his reputation was kind of overtaken by Federico Chiesa. I feel like. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Federico Chiesa is more of a goal scorer, more exciting. A lot of the work that Barella does is kind of invisible in the pitch. You have mm-hmm. it, it's not as exciting as Chiesa. But I at first I was like slagging it off, kind of. I was just like, are they crazy? But then I thought about it and I was like, yeah, it makes sense that he, he's in the short list. And uh, but yeah, he's never gonna win it. 
and the Anglo-Italian pod stands with Mr. Robert Lewandowski, whom I've seen debuted for the Polish national team when he was a kid as a mm -hmm. defender. Did you know? Mate, I saw this this week. I saw it this week. I was like, what the fuck is that? He looks crazy young as well. He looks ridiculously young. He played as a left back or something, right? And of course, he scored in that game. <laughs> <laughs> classic. Absolute classic Lewandowski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. But I believe it's time to go around the world. And so jump aboard our blimp and let's go to the Euro review. It's felt like a lifetime, but it was only two weeks. The international break is almost over. League football is almost back. Let's take you first to Africa to take a look at the World Cup qualifiers. And we've got our African football expert, Mr. Rory Crisqualo. So You are very kind with the term expert, and I think almost <laughs> deluded. But it's nice to be back in this blimp. I feel like, you know, it's been a, a while since we've been in the old girl, and here we are. <laughs> so I'm going to very, very quickly take you through the 10 groups and what the situations are. So I don't know what genius planned the final um, or like the fixtures in AFCON, uh, or whether they just thought those two teams are likely to be the favorite, so let's put them last. But... In all the groups that are yet to be decided, the top two teams are playing each other on the last match day. So it seems like the last match day in the AFCON qualifying could be really, really intriguing. Absolute fire. So let's see. In Group A, we have Algeria and Burkina Faso are both on 10 points. The final game is Algeria versus Burkina Faso. This week, uh, Mares and Benasser uh, scored in a 4-0 win over Niger. So that group is crazy close and yet to be decided. Um, in Group B, Tunisia top their group. They're three points ahead of Equatorial Guinea. And the next game is Equatorial Guinea versus Tunisia. So that group is still wide open. Uh, in Group C, Nigeria are top of their group by two points. They play second place Cape Verde in the final match. Damn. Then we move on to Group D. <laughs> we have Ivory Coast and Cameroon separated by one point. They also play each other in the final match in Cameroon. This week, Ivory Coast beat Malawi 2-1. Malawi, Goals from Kessier and Pepe. So Serie A and the Premier League being represented pretty well. In Group E, Mali topped their group by two points. Uganda a second. And Tommy, what happens in the last game? They play each other, let me exactly. guess. Exactly. <laughs> Mali versus Uganda in the final game. I don't know how this has worked out or if it is... It's just insane. Anyway, in Group F, we have Egypt to four points clear of Libya. So this one's a little bit more settled. Egypt have to play Angola away and Gabon at home. Libya have to play Gabon at home and Angola away. So Aubameyang could actually have quite a big say, even though he won't be at the World Cup with Gabon. He could have quite a big say in who will be there. Nearly there, guys. Group G, we have South Africa and Ghana separated by one point. And in the final match day, who do they play, Tommy? They play each other, right? Exactly. <laughs> South Africa will play Ghana in Ghana. This week, Thomas Partey scored again. He cannot hit a barn door for Arsenal. And he gets two <laughs> goals in two games. This one, a free kick against Zimbabwe to secure the three points. So please bring some of that form back, Thomas. We need the goals. Nearly there. Group H, we have Senegal have already qualified. These next two groups are already pretty much done. Senegal have qualified, winning all four games, and they're eight points clear. Um, they were they beat Namibia 3-1 this week, a 
Famara Diediu hat trick. Um, and Group I, Morocco have also won all four games and are also eight points clear. So both those groups are decided. Then finally, Group J, Tanzania and Benin, both on seven points. Unfortunately, they've ruined it. These teams do not play each other, but they did play each other this <laughs> week. And Tanzania beat Benin 1-0 to put them level. So Tanzania have to play the DR Congo at home and Madagascar away. And Benin have to play Madagascar at home and DR Congo away. That is the situation in AFCON. So most of the groups are still yet to be decided. And the final match day, I think you have to sit and watch what happens. Because it's going to be madness. And talking about Africa, guys, we are going to repeat it. We've cited extensively already, but we're going to just keep hammering you with this information. We are going to be covering the Africa Cup of Nations starting from January and until uh, February. We need somebody who is more knowledgeable than us about African football. We might have found a few people, but hey, the more, the merrier. If you're interested, our DMs are always open say what up and we'll say what up back and then we'll start a crazy collab and guys we're gonna go to south america i really wanted to take you through asia but just turns out that the groups are a mess i don't really understand how the system works (laughs) if there are also any asian experts who want to come in and talk asian football with us that would be fantastic we have no idea yeah i'll just tell you that there is a group where um vietnam And let me go look for it. And the UAE, United Arab Emirates, are competing for a spot. So you can tell already that the groups are pretty interesting also from a geographical standpoint. They're in the same confederation, if you remember. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not like, yeah, you travel from Italy to England. It's like Vietnam, (laughs) the United Arab Emirates. Like Tajikistan to bloody Sri Lanka. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely crazy. So, you know what's way easier to do? It's way easier to go to South America, where our team, well, my team, Chile, have won their first game in seven. I don't really understand what's been going on in South America for Chile, but they've been struggling. Finally, they are back to winning ways. Um, Not much more has happened. Uh, Brazil are still leading at 28 points. Argentina are trailing by six. They're second on on 22 points. Then we've got Ecuador, Uruguay, and Colombia at the fifth place. Going to North America, I just hope that you saw Alfonso Davies' acceleration in the game against Panama yesterday. We were trying to count together with Rory how many seconds of advantage that defender had on Alfonso Davies and Alfonsino just comes in sprinting like a cheetah, gets the ball with the bottom of his shoe, then goes into the penalty box and hammers it in in the first post. What a beautiful goal. That guy is like single-handedly, well, not single-handedly, Canada have a few decent players now, but he is like definitely their main their main weapon. Imagine your best player being your left back. It's really weird, right? Um, and right sorry, back. I looked right it up, I looked right it up yesterday. Do you know how many inhabitants, what's the population of Canada? Oh, it's like one of those that's like crazy low because like nobody, like there's just dead space everywhere. It's like 6 million or something, I don't know. No, 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 it's a little more. It's thir- 35 million, but still, damn, it's super Compared to America, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and even the United States don't have that big of a population. But it's time to go to Europe where, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a round of applause for our Danish friends. 
I don't know Cole. what skull skull is that. Congratulations, or maybe that's cheers in Danish. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it it's cheers. Be. Cheers. Yeah, I think so. Our friends from Minnesota who supported the Vikings. You well, can hear my chant... dog sneezing in the background. I apologize. <laughs> well, their chant is a skull, of course, for the Scandinavian origins of the team. They're called the Vikings. But hey, Denmark, five million people live in this tiny country in northern Europe. They are the first European team, together with Germany to qualify for the World Cup in Qatar. They've played eight games. They've won eight games. They've conceded zero goals, and they've scored 27. And one thing that I love about these stats is that they have had 17 different goal scorers. Out of 27 goals, only Mele has scored four, together with the Skovolsen, who's also at four. And guess where these two players play? They play in Italy for Atalanta, Joachim Mele, and the Skovolsen for Bologna. Pretty interesting, right? It is. And it's like, it's weird because obviously the like the tragic events that happened at the Euros massively kind of, and it didn't derail their campaign because they still got very far, but it definitely like affected them as of course it did, it would. But they really have got a squad there because you've even got players like Damsgaard who is like such a promising player. They've got the experience of Schmeichel and Simon Kier. They've got this great mix of experience and promising young players. I think like even Yusuf Paulson isn't the most like prolific striker, but he's played for some big teams, played in big games, and like it feels like they've got a real squad that could like really surprise people. I think and look, Denmark surprised everyone in '92, wasn't it? So why can't they surprise us again? Yeah, and I don't think it's a, I don't think they're a, a dark horse anymore. I feel like they've established they have a very strong generation of mm-hmm. players, uh, and maybe that tragic event at Euro 2020 maybe that also contributed to creating such a solid, solid team. I mean, that's something pretty big to happen mm, on a football It's a big pitch. experience to live through, isn't it? It's a big experience to live through. And I think, but it's not even like this is just a generation. They've consistently produced incredible players. <laughs> like you had the um, the brothers, oh God, Brian and, what were the names? Brian? I can't, I cannot Loudrup, The Loudrup brothers, they like in that classic Denmark team, they have Schmeichel. They've had like consistently created incredible teams so i think they're now just like an established football nation and i think any team that came up against them in the world cup knockouts would not be feeling confident that defense zero goals conceded is madness yeah i mean kjair christensen at center backs and the schmeichel in goal i mean kjair and christensen (laughs) definitely have experience and if they have experience schmeichel has experience with a capital e Mm -hmm. so that's already a super solid defense their weak spot surprisingly might be the attack in fact they don't rely on a on a striker on a on, on that reference point as a number mm-hmm. 9 up front as we've said the 17 different goal scorers they play this type of total football so let's keep an eye also uh, once the world cup comes around on dolberg who is 24 mm-hmm. just like Joachim Mele. they're also a pretty young team if he can say fit, he's a very prolific goal scorer. He's already uh, scored four in five games at Nice this season, mm-hmm. including a brace versus Lille in a 4 0 win. And uh, definitely Denmark needed that number nine up front. Um, and uh, also, there is this very young uh, player, 19 years old, Mohamed Darami. He's now at Ajax. <gasps> FM legend. FM legend. Really? Yes. Yeah? Yes. He's now at Ajax, where he doesn't get a lot of playing time because there is a big competition up front. He's a FC Copenhagen uh, product, but apparently mm-hmm. a lot of uh, people are rating Mate. him very, very highly. 
he led me to Premier League glory with Arsenal, uh, Mohamed Durami. I'm very, very excited about that guy. But even Dolberg, when he was at Ajax, he was a striker that people were really excited about. And then the move didn't quite work out for him to Nice at first, and it looked like his confidence was gone. He had he was the one who one of their players stole his watch and was like, it was like a whole mess at Nice at the time. But now it really feels like he's getting his feet under the table and starting to become the striker that people thought he could be. So exciting for Denmark and for for Casper, right? Because I've always, at Ajax, I enjoyed watching him. But also, let's talk about the man behind all this, the manager. He goes by the name of Casper Julmund and he's pretty young. Manager, 49 years old. He was Danish champion with Nordschelland in the 2011-2012 season. And he has been in charge of the national team since 2019. Now, you want to hear his record? I know you Go do. 23 games, 16 wins, 2 draws and 5 losses. Wow. One of which against England. Rory will remember. Slugs. But the other great, incredible thing is that they've got a plus 39 goal difference. They've scored 54 goals under his tenure, conceding only 15. So definitely, this man knows what he's doing. He says he's inspired by Cruyff's idea of total football, and we can see it on the pitch. And the thing that apparently is being very appreciated in Denmark is that he has given faith to the Danish youth academy system. Mm -hmm. And for example, Mele comes from a small uh, academy called Ostervra Skovolsen from Alsonderup. I apologize for the pronunciation. And the Vind, which is one of their forwards, comes from the small academy of Avedor. So for such a small country, they seem pretty organized. Uh, we're going to play into that northern European stereotype where everything works properly. And uh, it's <laughs> it's nice to see such a small nation making such big statements on the international state, uh, stage. Sorry, love to see it. One funny stat about those five losses under Kasper Juhlmann's tenure. One came against England in the semifinals of the Euros. Mm-hmm. And the three of the remaining four came all against the same team of bottlers. Belgium. So wow, bloody hell, that is weird. Yeah. So hopefully they don't bump into Belgium early in the World Cup in 2022. But Rory, cross for them. It's great to see them. Like obviously after again, not to, but after what happened to them at the Euros or to Ericsson, we all want to see them doing well. And just what a what a qualifying campaign. I saw a great tweet from Peter Schmeichel. Like to see how proud he is of his son is just so beautiful to see. And obviously like we've talked about it before, but Casper now has a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's, he has a career in his own right. If you know what I mean? He's not just Peter Schmeichel's son. I think just what a, what a player and what a leader for that team. And it's not a given that the son of a footballer is going to play his parents, the same position, you know, and uh, even play. Like... Or even or even play, yeah, unless your name is Maldini, of course. But um, <laughs> yeah. uh, the fact that they became two very important goalkeepers in the Premier League and in the national in the Danish uh, national football team is mm-hmm. absolutely impressive. And now for the oh fuck section, ah, Switzerland win in an emphatic way four nil against Lithuania. Rory, I like yeah, well, yeah, I'll be honest. Look, like I've been to Lithuania, it's a beautiful country, but I am not gonna put all my trust in them to get a result in football, I'll be honest. Not really. No, yeah, they looked dire. But Rory, <laughs> yeah. what does this what does this mean for Italy? I, I don't want to think about it. Well, it means that Italy face a 
difficult. You have to play Switzerland next. Mm-hmm. Yep. In That's Rome, it. though, it's not in San Siro. So, you know, thank God for small blessings. And then, as we said, you ha- you face quite a difficult trip to Windsor Park in Belfast. Now, that being said, this isn't the Northern Ireland of the last Euros. Um, the manager has left. A lot of the players have got a bit older. And this campaign has been pretty grim for them. Um, one win, two draws, and three losses. So I think that it's not the Northern Ireland of past but I still think it could be a difficult game. It means that Italy, ultimately you have a lot of pressure on you, Tommy. And I just know that the last time Italy faced pressure to qualify for a World Cup, I was in the ground and it was fucking excruciating to watch. (laughs) How do you feel about it? Now, the thing is that we simply need to defeat Switzerland at the Stadio Mm -hmm. Olimpico, which is what we did at the Euros this summer. So that makes me feel confident. We defeated them 3-0. Look, um, they are only two goals behind on goals on goal mm-hmm. difference. If we win the game against Switzerland, keeping a clean sheet, I think we can travel to Belfast pretty relaxed. Yeah. Um, but if we draw against Switzerland, holy shit, that's gonna be that's gonna be scary. Their last Switzerland's last game is at home against Bulgaria, so definitely not as tough as traveling to Belfast. But look, it's one way only. All or nothing, Stadio Olimpico, f- Friday, November 12th. We got to win that game. And I think we've got the chances to do and it. And we're up to 75% capacity. So it'll be a bigger crowd, bigger crowd, make it a cauldron. Look, I think you should. I'm, I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying anything. We'll see how the game goes. We will see how the game goes. I don't want to jinx it. I'm not shitting my pants, but I might have stained them. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Rory, what else are we looking at in the European, in the UEFA qualifiers? Okay, so we've done Italy. Should we start with England, I suppose? <laughs> Should we go Should there? We? Wow, you sound you sound excited about your national team, Rory. Um, Let's go. Yeah, as ever. Um, so we've had a question from friend of the pod, Adam Gipke of the Hopeless Wanderer pod. Should people give more respect to Hungary for that draw versus England? And... Does this raise more questions about England's approach? Well, Adam, I would say yes on both counts. Um, Look, Hungary in the Euros had that awful, awful group with Germany, France and Portugal. They held their own against all three of those teams. They kind of collapsed towards the end against Portugal, but Germany and France, they pushed all the way. And there was like lots of goals, great performances. And against England, they were just, it's, it's what we expected. They were hard to break down, disciplined. And they got their goal. They got the reward for playing well. And with England, I just wonder, yeah, Southgate's approach. So weirdly, Tommy, it is level. It's one all in the game. You're at home against Hungary and you take off Sterling. Who do you think you're going to bring on? Another offensive player. Well, not old Gareth. He brings on Jordan Henderson to shore up the midfield. How was that received in uh, in the UK? So, how what did people how did people react to that? Well, one? well I wasn't at the stadium, obviously, uh, but I did see a lot of what the actual fuck on Twitter. Why can't Southgate just slightly push for a win? Why is he so bloody conservative all of the time? He had lots of options on the bench. We've talked about it a million times. How? gifted England are at the moment in young, attacking, flair, exciting players. And he just seems unable to use them or just maybe it's like the fact that he was a defender as a player and he's just like, okay, boys, just see this one out. I don't know. It just feels like a weird 
and very frustrating thing to be going through. Look, in the group, is it a massive problem? Not really. England are three points clear of Poland in second. Um, England have games coming up against Albania at home and San Marino away. So we should still be okay while Poland have got to play Andorra away and Hungary at home, which is going to be a tricky one, as we said, with Hungary. But I just think we're getting... Look, we, we have to also have some perspective and say Southgate has been arguably the most successful England manager ever. Even though Alf Ramsey won one World Cup, Gareth Southgate's got us to... like. He's got us to a final twice, right? Or a semi-final and a final, right? So yeah, I feel like right. he's definitely <laughs> up there with like he's definitely up there in the most successful England managers. So we have to say in a tournament, he knows what he's doing. But I do wish he was a bit more forward thinking. Um, and like I said, with the players and the options we've got, I think we should be looking to kill teams off like Hungary. The but again, also as with Hungary, the headlines are never really on the pitch it's the fans in the stadium and the hungry fans were fighting with the English police. It's the same people you see in the black shirts that are making horrific gestures and noises towards the players. And I feel like it's about time you wait for step up as if we've not asked before. It's about time you wait for step up and kind of do something about the fact that these hungry fans are a problem. They are a real problem. The fighting in the stadium was horrific. Um, and they're not just keeping it to their own country now. They're traveling abroad. So I think, yeah, it's time you UEFA did something. It's just it's just depressing scenes again at football and again with Hungary. And again, it's a country I've been to. I love Budapest. I love Hungarian people. It really upsets me that these people are like what the country are known for now. Like these racist idiots are what people think of as of Hungary. And I honestly, Budapest is one of my favorite cities. Like it's beautiful. The other day I was in the subway and there was a, you know, on the subway screen, there was a commercial about tourism in Hungary. Mm -hmm. And look, I've only been, I've only been to Budapest with Reed, friend of the show. Um, but I mean, right now, my picture, when I think of Hungary, I think exactly of those mm -hmm. uh, grim images that you talked about. And it was in stark contrast with that. Of course, it was in stark contrast because it's a beautiful country with uh, Hungary. And, you know, there are these two, there is this couple like biking in the countryside. Of course, not a gay couple because it's Hungary. But, like, you know, a heterosexual couple, like looking very blonde and pretty, like biking in the countryside. And then there are these mountains and these incredible backdrops. And then there is Budapest and all these farms. But yeah, it's sad that, that their image abroad has become that, like the, the that of a neo-Nazi country, like belligerent. Well, this is people. it. And, but without without getting into politics, it comes from their leader as well. Orban. Yeah. But we, yeah, but yeah, yeah. That, we'll save that for the for the politics podcast we're planning. You know I mean? <laughs> like, no, 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 no. I would never take part in that one. That's only Not Rory. That's only Rory getting indignated at the news <laughs> that he reads. It's a one-hour podcast where Rory yells at the microphone on his own and basically just comes out as a communist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but guys, let's take a look at the other groups in the UEFA qualifying uh, stages because we've got Group A where Serbia are one point ahead of Portugal. However, Portugal have got one game in hand. Portugal are going to play set game in hand against Ireland. And then there is the final face-off on November 14th, Portugal against Serbia. Who are you backing, Rory? We've got to play Ronaldo again. <laughs> Can we not just... Look, you've beaten us once. Can you just take it and sod off, please? We've actually got two good back-to-back -back results. I don't want to get pumped by fucking Portugal again. 
What um, you, I think well, I'm going to back Portugal. I'm going to back because Portugal have to play Ireland, so I'm going to back Portugal. Unfortunately, however, it would be a beautiful story to see Serbia managing to to mm-hmm. you know to to overtake um, to overtake. Um, Portugal in a group stage. We shall see. Remember, there is another international break in November, and that's when these games are going to be played. But it's not only Group A or Italy, Switzerland, because Rory, we've got a situation, a mic the situation in Group B as well. We do. We've got Sweden in first place on 15 points, four wins in the last five, and Spain on second, in second, on 13 points with four wins in the last five. And of course, I believe these two have to play each other, much like getting in on the Afghan Afghan party. The final game is Spain versus Sweden, so it is in Spain. That game is going to be huge. Yeah, the next international break is going to be very interesting. Group C is Italy and Switzerland, as we've already covered. And in Group D, we've got Finland. Rory, what have you got to tell us about the Finns? Well, Ukraine got their first win of the uh, of the qualifying campaign after four draws. They finally got a win. But this means they find themselves only one point ahead of Finland. So Finland are still in with a shout of getting that playoff spot. France are three points clear at the top. The biggest problem for the finish is that they have to play France at home in the final game. They have Bosnia Ouch. away before that. Whereas Ukraine have to play Bulgaria at home and Bosnia away. So Ukraine have a bit of an easier run. But Finland, it's still not finished for the Finlands. Finland. Finland. Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, we're a little rusty today, in case you haven't noticed. But we're keeping on going. And we've got Group E, where Belgium are leading uh, with the 16 points, followed by formerly known Czech Republic, now currently known as Czechia, on 11 points. However, Wales are right there. Also on 11 points, but one game in hand so that's gonna be interesting Rory you were kind of saying that they wouldn't make yeah, it to the World Cup but I think maybe I was a bit harsh on Wales but they only beat Estonia 1-0 away I still think they're not looking very convincing they have to play Belarus at home and Belgium at home as we said Czech Republic just have to play Estonia at home maybe I was too harsh but I think I just can't see Wales doing it. I think they're going to slip up against Belarus and the Belgium game is going to be bloody difficult. The interesting thing is that Czech Republic have a better goal difference, but Wales have the head-to-head because they did beat Czech Republic 1-0 at home. So it could, it's right down to the wire, really. It's right down to the wire. Group F, Denmark, as we've already covered, they are already qualified for the next World Cup. And Scotland are in second position with 17 points. It's looking like they are going to make the continental playoffs, and it's definitely exciting for us Don't all. jinx it. The Scottish will not thank you. They never make it easy for themselves. They beat Faroe Islands 1-0, in an example of not making it easy for themselves, with a late goal from Dykes. Um, it does give them a great chance of the playoffs. Their upcoming games are they have to play Moldova and then they have Denmark at home in the final game, whereas Israel have to play Austria away and then Faroe Islands at home. Now, while we're in Israel, very quick, very quick um, diversion, Tommy. Have you heard Infantino's genius idea of where to host the next World Cup? Oh, in Israel. Is it? Is it that? No, no. Israel and Palestine. They're going to have a joint World Cup bid, apparently. 
Well, as we're going to cover in the weekly topic, sometimes <laughs> when the World Cup happens, political yeah, miracles, who, yeah, true, political true. miracles also happen. And also true. a statement, well, this kind of says about how many dumb ideas that man has, but it's not the worst one he's had. Um, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I, I think, honestly, if we expected better from him after Seth Blatter um, fucked off, I think everyone is massively, massively disappointed. I'm just checking where he's from in Italy. Where's he from? Infantino. Oh, he's from Switzerland. He's Swiss. I thought he was he's, Italian. He's a Swiss, and as we've covered the last week, <laughs> Not he's, again, a Swiss. he's a Swiss. Not I'll just say that. But then we've got, uh, we're almost done, guys. Group G, the Netherlands at 19 points, followed by Haaland's Norway at 17 points. However, Haaland did not take part in this international break. And Turkey, third on 15 points. Definitely interesting to see how this will end up. Rory, what do you say? Well, this is it. We have, as you said, first Holland, second Norway, third Turkey, all separated by two points. And the final game is... Holland versus Norway. So another great game to look forward to at the end, whereas Turkey have to play Gibraltar and Montenegro. So it's kind of in Turkey's hands, I think, um, that Holland-Norway game. They're going to really hope that they're going to have to have Holland for that one, surely, right? Definitely. Group H, Russia leading with 19, followed by Croatia at 17. They are going to play each other in the last match day. It's all squaring up. Pretty interesting, right? I honestly can't. I, I know we were kind of moaning a little bit, like, oh, so many international breaks. But reading about this, I'm like, man, I can't wait for the next international break. There's going to be so many games with so much riding on it. And then we've got England's group. Your next games coming up are Albania and San Marino. Of course, England are top of the group, followed by Poland at 17. And their next games are against Andorra and Hungary. Rory. Do you think, are you confident that England will finish top of the group? Quietly confident. Quietly confident. If anything, Gareth Southgate will make sure we don't lose a game, even if he doesn't make sure we win a game. So I think I think we should be all right, touch wood. And finally, in Group J, Germany are already qualified in an emphatic fashion with 21 points, seven wins, only one defeat and only three goals conceded. Ooh. But the interesting thing is between Romania and North Macedonia, and there is a third wheel invited at the party. It's Armenia. Interesting, right? It is. They're all separated by one point, those three teams. And Armenia play North Macedonia at home next. But then, unfortunately, Armenia have to play Germany in their final game. So it's Uh-oh. definitely going to be difficult for Mikatarian and his lot. But a nice little race there for second place for that kind of vital playoff spot. So lots to look forward to in the European qualifiers yet i think but now it's finally time for league football it's back not all teams are happy especially in Serie that uh, this international break took place especially the team that uh, i don't know they there is a jinx on there is really a curse on that team about injuries i'm talking about the roma tammy abraham uh, mm. apparently he's not feeling super fit. His ankle is a little shaky, and so is Zaniolo. Is that a problem? It might as well be, because this weekend we've got Juventus taking on Roma. If you couldn't get worse timing, you could not get worse timing. 
you could not get it. So this game is going to be played. It's the big match. It's going to be played on Sunday night at 8.45. But it's not the only big game because we kick off on Saturday afternoon at 6 p.m. with Lazio taking on Inter at the Stadio Olimpico. Now, Ooh. about international breaks, I already said it. In the matter of, in the space of, uh, I believe... Uh, 30 hours, Lautaro Martinez is supposed to be playing a game for Argentina, then taking a plane to Milan, then getting a bus to Rome, and then playing the game against Lazio. I doubt he's going to be a starter. Luckily, we can rely on Joaquin Correa, who didn't go in international break, and he just posted on Instagram saying that he's fit and ready to play against Lazio. And if there is one thing that usually happens in football is il gol dell'ex, the ex-player's goal. So hopefully we're going to see that at the Stadio Olimpico. And then at 8.45 on Saturday, we've got AC Milan taking on Elas Verona at the San Siro with Antonio Mirante in goal, ladies and gentlemen. It just turns out that the AC Milan medical staff cannot plan things very properly. In fact, Mike Magnan, AC Milan's goalkeeper and also uh, France's second string goalkeeper, um, he just underwent surgery. Now, I have a thousand question marks about the timing. If uh, apparently I read that this was a problem that he's been carrying uh, alongside him for quite some time, since the Lille days, apparently. So he gets to AC Milan already with a wrist that is not feeling super fit, and you wait till after the October international break to to operate on him is going to be out for at least 10 weeks, they say. Couldn't they do it before the international break? Yeah, it seems it. like maybe it was just like they tried to delay it, delay it, delay it, and then it just literally couldn't wait any longer. It does seem like weird, weird timing. And again, another team that always seems to be unlucky at the moment, that is just another kind of kick in the teeth for Milan, and I can see you smiling through it, Tommy. Big time, big time. <laughs> Teo Hernandez is out uh, with uh, COVID. Mike Magnan is ruled out the squad. And I also like the thing, <laughs> I like the thing that they've got a second string goalkeeper, Tata Ruzano. He used to be Fiorentina's goalkeeper. He mm-hmm. played a few games for AC Milan last year. He wasn't great in the Coppa Italia. But the moment, can you imagine being the second string goalkeeper for AC Milan? The moment you find the news, you're like, oh shit, I'm going to get some playing time. And they similar are like, na na na, we're going on the market and we're going to sign 38-year-old free agent Antonio Mirante. He was at Roma until last year. Right now he was a free agent. He was training with uh, his local side, well, Sorrento, close to where he's born. Very mm-hmm. interesting, by the way. Castella Mare di Stabia, a town just south of Naples, I want to say. They've got uh, 60,000 inhabitants. It's not a giant city. It's a decent-sized city. But, hey, Ciro Immobile comes from there. Gianluigi Donnarumma comes from there. Antonio Mirante comes from there. And there are a few other players that come from the same city. So it's pretty interesting. But also, I just love the idea that AC Milan are signing all these old players. So 38-year-old goalkeeper. He's going to play cards along together with uh, Ibrahimovic and Giroud at the training ground. I love it. The three old men. <laughs> it's going to be a full, a full physio room. Exactly. On Sunday, we've got Empoli-Atalanta at 3 p.m., which could be interesting. Uh, Hopefully, we're going to see Luis Muriel getting a start for the first time in a very, very long time. At 6 p.m., Napoli versus Torino. Can 
Napoli continue their unbelievable streak of victories heading into this next match day. And then, as I've already said, at 8.45, we've got Juventus-Roma. Juventus cannot rely on Morata's goals, however, because he's still out injured. And then, on Monday night, Venezia-Fiorentina. Rory, what's going on in the Premier League this weekend? This weekend in the Premier League, we have, Tommy, a return of one of our favourite, I think one of our favourite Italian football people. You have a picture with him. Oh, 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 it's true. Claudio Ranieri. Yes. Claudio Ranieri. Claudio is back in the Premier League and he is kicking off the weekend as his Watford team take on Liverpool at half past one. He is going to take over Watford. The first game is four days before he turns 70. He looks pretty good for 70, I think. And he did say, I am so young when he was asked about if he could beat Roy Hodgson's record as the oldest manager in the Premier League. Um, Watford, what can we say about Watford? They sacked their manager who I'm not even, I don't even know his name, Zisco, I think. They sacked him and he actually had a pretty decent start. We know this is Watford's model. They just, every six months, every eight months, they just like have a clear out and sack whoever's in charge. They brought Ranieri in. Now, Ranieri, obviously, we all remember for the Leicester days. But the last club he took over was Fulham in the Premier League, and it wasn't particularly great for them. So I do kind of worry about this appointment for Watford. But it is nice to see Claudio back in the league. Look, Claudio Ranieri, (laughs) at Leicester, it was a lot about Claudio Ranieri. But if you look at his career, (laughs) it... You can also see that he got a little lucky. Maybe it was meant to happen that year, regardless of Ranieri or not. He definitely, he made, it it was a great story. And Ranieri made it all the prettier with that dilly ding, dilly Mm -hmm. dong, and all that banter. And like all the Leicester players celebrating and him like taking a plane to go visit his mom in Rome. Like, I don't know. It was a great story. But I do think that good old Claudio got a little bit lucky. Uh, if you consider yeah. the other few achievements in his career, this was by far the biggest, biggest one. Um, but yeah, good to see him back at Watford, historical British English club. So well, this why it. not? And the last time Liverpool played at Watford, I'm pretty sure, was when Ooh. Watford beat them to end their unbeaten run in the season um, with the goals from Ismail Assar. So that was... That could be a good game to keep an eye out on, but I would expect Liverpool to kind of rampage towards three points there. And then we have, um, on Saturday, we have Southampton versus Leeds United, a three o'clock kickoff. Norwich versus Brighton. Norwich City still kind of struggling down there. Brighton, after that difficult nil-nil with Arsenal that they should have won, um, can they get back to winning ways? We have Aston Villa versus Wolves on Saturday, a nice, Midlands derby uh, quite a heated one there actually people kind of forget how heated that derby is so that could be an interesting one the player that Wolves signed um, I want to get his name right Huang has had an unbelievable start for them so definitely a player to keep your eye on then we have Leicester City versus Manchester United now the rumours are that Brendan Rodgers is Newcastle's choice to replace Steve Bruce so there's going to be lots of rumours around there, especially with Leicester, as we pointed out, having quite a poor start to the season. But for Manchester United, the bad news 
continues or the bad news starts as Rafael Varane has been ruled out for a few weeks after being injured in that Nations League final. So they will have to pair up with Lindelof next to Maguire again. So maybe Leicester could get something here, but United will be looking to take advantage of Leicester's slow start to the season. Then at the same time, still all Saturday at three o'clock, we have Manchester City taking on Burnley. City will be without Ferran Torres, who's been ruled out for four to six weeks. And Burnley will be without quite a key player in Ben Mee, as he has tested positive for COVID. So two teams lacking key players there. Man City tend to batter Burnley in, in Manchester. So I do fear for Burnley here, especially as they've also not had a great season. Then the late kickoff on Saturday, we have Brentford versus Chelsea. Now, every game with Brentford at the moment is very exciting. And I think this is another one that's going to be like entertainment central. I think I'm definitely going to be tuning in for this one. Nice. A weekend full of football. It feels it feels crazy, but we're going to see football at the weekend. And then finally on Sunday, <laughs> we have Everton versus West Ham at 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock UK. David Moyes going back to his old haunt. Uh, can West Ham continue their great start to the season? Then finally, the game that everyone's waiting for, Tommy, the game that everyone's waiting for, Newcastle's first game under their new ownership. And they are playing Tottenham Hotspur. So here is hoping that they get a new... I've heard about new manager bounce. Maybe there's such a thing as like new owner bounce. Maybe the mood and the like full stadium will push on the Magpies for three points. I personally really bloody hope so. The only problem is is that Newcastle still have the same players and the same manager. You can have $320 billion in the bank, but yeah, if you've yeah, got Steve a... Bruce in charge and an average squad and you've still seven games, no wins, it's going to be difficult. It's yeah. going to be difficult. And hey, there are increasing rumours that the same owners of Newcastle are heavily interested in buying Inter Milan. And I received a very funny message from my friend Michael. So, you know, the theme song that we sing at the stadium for Inter is... Amala, Pazza Inter, Amala, <laughs> which means Inter, crazy Inter, you have to love her. And uh, my friend Michael texted me, Amala, Pazza Inter, Amala, which means Inter loves Allah, crazy Inter loves Allah. Well, might as well <laughs> if that money it could be. Through. It could be the new. It could be the new anthem if they take control. It'll be interesting to watch that one, definitely. Um, and then finally, 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 the last game of the weekend. For some reason, they've got Arsenal playing on Monday night, and we take on Crystal Palace at home. I'm hoping Thomas Partey continues his goal scoring thought form and bangs one top corner. But I genuinely think the Newcastle one's going to be really interesting because how Steve Bruce handles this game, knowing that basically. He, his job is gone. It's just a matter of time. The players mm-hmm. must know that as well. I feel like it could, even though this takeover has been like a big source of optimism for Newcastle fans, it could immediately, like in the immediate future, be a source of quite a lot of pessimism because I feel like it's going to be really disruptive and could cause quite a bit of like tension in the back room. So we'll see how it happens and we'll see what happens. I am 100% behind you, Newcastle. Please beat Tottenham. Please, please beat Tottenham. Please. Hopefully they're listening. Um, I just want to say one thing, which looks pretty crazy. I kind of covered the Serie A quickly. I just went through the games. But you remember Juventus, who had a terrible start to the season, right, Rory? I remember them, yes. And uh, Roma had a pretty exciting start to the season, right? They did. 
But if Juventus do win this game against Roma, they will be only one point uh. behind Mourinho's team. So it's true. Juventus are picking up form. They're picking up points. They're currently seventh on 11. Roma are fourth on 15. This is definitely the biggest game in Serie A this weekend alongside Lazio Inter. Make sure you tune in. Rory, anything more to say in the Euro review? One, one last thing, and this isn't Serie A or Premier League related, but it's just come through that Pedri has signed a new contract at Barcelona with a, get ready for this, 1 billion euro release clause. How smart is that when you have 1 billion <laughs> point 3 million mm, of that? How can we solve this problem? <laughs> how can we solve this problem, Pedri? Walk, Newcastle? Walk the Newcastle? Anybody? <laughs> Newcastle? He's very good. He's worth <laughs> 1 billion euros. Yeah, that was great. I actually forgot to mention it at the opening of the episode. Um, but there is this Italian uh, comedian who's become very famous. He talks about arte povera, which is poor mm. art. And so he shows like the shitty gro- groceries that he does because he has very little money. And uh, there was a post about like, you know, Barcelona put a 1 billion release clause on this guy. They've got 1 billion of euros in debt. Arte povera. (laughs) (laughs) But I believe it's about time to jump to the weekly topic. Rory, what are we going to discuss? We are going to be discussing our favorite YouTube clips. Yeah, I think this is the third time we've done it. I hope you enjoy it, guys, because we bloody love it. So here we go. And here we are, weekly topic. We had to change our minds last minute. Luca, we hope you're doing well. We hope they're not stressing you out too much at work. You will be back to deliver that weekly topic about a topic that we cannot wait to discuss with you. Hint, it's one of the craziest World Cups of all time. But now it's time for me and Rory to go through three of our favorite YouTube videos relating to football, but not only. Rory Criscolo, I will let you go first. Okay, first up, do I start with the depressing one or the nice one? Which one do we think? Start with the depressing one. Okay, so depressing one. Uh, here we go. So my fa- my first clip is, it's a very short documentary. It's not depressing. It's just quite heavy. I think heavy is probably the word. It's a short documentary and it is called, it's from Grime Daily, um, who are a great page that mainly focus on British rap music. But they did a series called Nothing to Something. It's about people who grew up in kind of poor situations, in kind of difficult upbringings, and who made something of themselves. And this special is Ian Wright, Nothing to Something. Now, Ian Wright, there was a thing on Twitter the other day, or maybe a couple months ago, There was like, if you could have any guest on your podcast, who would your dream podcast guest be? Mine would be Ian Wright. There is nothing I dislike about this man. And watching this documentary only makes me respect him more. Um, The stories he tells, the way he tells them, and what you learn about his life is all so heartbreaking and inspiring. So I don't want to give too much away because I honestly recommend watching it. It's only 20 minutes long. um, But the way he ended up in trouble with the police he had a horrific horrific relationship with his father and his stepfather um there's a really heartbreaking story about where his dad has to buy him trousers and it's just oh it's horrible but then there's some really uplifting moments like there's a PE teacher when he was a child who's really really important to his life Mr. Pigden and there's a moment where he's kind of reunited with him and it's a clip that's very famous but it's a clip that no matter how many times I see it, 
it always like gets me. It always gets me really emotional. Um, and I just think this Ian Wright for me is someone who is the definition of like never give up on your dream. Like he made his his debut in professional football when he was 26, 27. Like by mo by that age, most people have definitely given up on the career. Most people are telling you to give up on the career and you think your chance has passed. He obviously gets an opportunity at Crystal Palace. There's a boss who he's working for who like is so key to that as well. And then to go from that, like 26 making your professional debut and then to go on to become Arsenal, Arsenal's all-time record goal scorer in that such a short amount of time. And I know I'm an Arsenal fan, but for a club with such a big history as Arsenal to become their all-time record goal scorer is just, it's like if it, if it was written in a film, you wouldn't believe it, right? And it's just, this is this guy's life story. And I think every time I listen to him, every time I see an interview with him, I'm like just blown away by him. Five stars. I remember you showed me this video last mm -hmm. year in the early days of the pod and I was very impressed. It was, uh, well, number one, he's got a... Uh, He's got the looks of an actor, like a professional mm. actor. Like he's got a deep voice and he's a very good storyteller. And the stuff he talks about is very serious, but he knows, I don't, I don't know. He's a very good storyteller. It's a great story. You're right. That bit about the professor is absolutely amazing. Definitely watch this video. It's worth it. Uh, and it's a player that I didn't know much about before meeting Rory. So definitely interesting to kind of discover the career of a player that maybe Italian listeners, American listeners are not so familiar with. And also, just to finish, because I don't want it to just be like a depressing thing, <laughs> whilst you're at it, definitely search for Ian Wright's greatest goals because he scores all types of goals as well. His pace, his finishing, everything about it was so like natural. It was instinct. It was kind of on the last shoulder. And the way he celebrated every goal, like almost like the, the people in Zaggy kind of vibe, like mm -hmm. every goal for him meant so much. And you can see it on his face. And I feel like this is, again, something that I love about him. He's such an emotional man. He wears his emotions on his sleeve and he doesn't hide anything. And you're like, I just love this guy. So, I, Ian, if you are listening, please come on. <laughs> it would be a dream. It would be a literal dream. Yeah, it was yeah. also very cool last year when during the lockdown when he did that. Uh, he was interviewing Lukaku and uh, mm. it was a great bit. Um, yeah, I remember he asked him, do you like your life in Milan? Do you love playing for Inter? And he said, yes, yes. I love this here. It was a great, then he goes to Chelsea. God damn it. It was, um, it was a great series. He did at home with Ian. And again, they're worth checking out. He rang up a load of Arsenal players. He did one with David Luiz, uh, Hector Bellerin. And yeah, he's just like the way he interacts with people. Like everybody loves him. All the, all the young Arsenal players and even like kind of other famous black British celebrities in the UK, like Stormzy and people like they all call him like Uncle Ian, like his relationship with people is just always everybody who meets him loves him and i just think yeah i love him by the way rory the other day talking about arsenal arsenal legends the other day i saw a very funny meme it was just thierry henry's face looking very serious and it said this man is responsible for tricking an entire generation into supporting arsenal and then <laughs> loved it. i loved it i was like yeah 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 i've definitely and he's also responsible before. for a lot of young french players who are now like i'll play for arsenal so thank you tt <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Great. So, Rory, I'll go. If it's okay with you, I'll go with yep, my first go. video. And now let me bask into some uh, uh, Italian patriotism. The name of this video is... More Italian patriotism, Tommy. That's exactly. all it is with you. 
by the way, you'll be able to find the links to all of these videos in the episode description, both on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. The title of this episode is Highlights, Semifinals, Euro 2000, Italy versus the Netherlands. Talk about a crazy game. Talk about a game that has it all. This is the game you want to be watching. Now, I was only seven years old at the time. I would be, I remember the celebrations, but I don't remember the actual game. And it's just crazy to go through the entirety of the events of that crazy day. Mm-hmm. So Italy lined up with a 5-3-2, five-man defense. In goal, we had Toldo. The five defenders, good luck getting past it. Maldini, Giuliano, Nesta, Cannavaro, Zambrotta at midfield. Oh. Fiore, Albertini, Di Biagio, up front, Totti, Del Piero. Spoiler alert, it sounds like a tough defense, but the Dutch players managed to get through it and cut through it on quite a few occasions. They lined up with a 4-4-2, featuring Van der Sar in goal, Bosvelt, Stam, De Boer, and Van Bronckhorst in defense. At midfield, Overmars, Koku, Davids, and Zenden, and up front, Clivert and Bearcamp. So the many game, Arsenal players. So many Arsenal players. Man, and then Sedorf got in at like the 86th minute. Such Christ. an incredible generation Sedorf of players. Sedorf on the bench, taking liberties. Also, another thing that I love about the highlights of this game is the classic Italian and Dutch kids. They're playing mm. blue against orange, and it just looks tight as fuck. 33rd minute after the Dutch forwards created already quite a few problems to the Italian defense. Gianluca Zambrotta picks up a red card for Italy. That's at the 33rd minute of the first half. And in my opinion, I don't know, man. It was a little to, what do you say, by by the book, like... He yeah, it's a little bit soft, but you've it, seen them given. As exactly, exactly. Yeah. Five minutes later, Nesta pulls Kluivert's shirt... The bird goes to take the penalty, and Francesco Toldo, who was not even supposed to be playing in the Europe, in the European Championship, if it wasn't for a Gigi Buffon injury, saves the penalty, diving to his left. At the 62nd minute, and again, if you watch the highlights, Italy don't do anything. It's only the Netherlands attacking, attacking, attacking. Do you remember this, Rory? I do. I think it might be the most Italian win ever. Oh, <laughs> it, it might be the most definition Italian win ever. Just the win at the 62nd minute, Giuliano. I don't know if you remember Mark Giuliano. He was mm-hmm. the defender uh, of the big scandal. He basically blocked Ronaldo on a clear path towards goal uh, yes. in that infamous Inter-Juventus game. But Giuliano attempts in this game at the 62nd minute to end once and for all, David's career with a horrible tackle, which wasn't worded red card. Uh, he gets lucky because he gets a touch, a little touch on the ball, but the rest is all legs, both legs. <laughs> well, at this point, they're like, the Boer missed the first penalty. Let's change the penalty taker. Let's get someone who's also very cold, Clivert. Uh-oh. He shoots a mozzarella of a penalty that hits the post, and it's still 0 Zero. <laughs> but the crazy thing is that Francesco Toldo would go on after overtime to save another two penalties for Italy. And in total, the Netherlands would end this game with a grand total of five penalties missed out of seven conceded. 
What? Now, I need to look at Netherlands' penalty record because I believe it is worse than England's. Like, they always do terribly in penalty shootouts. So I'm just looking now. Netherlands' penalty shootout. Here we go. Um, I believe they've never, they've, out of seven, <laughs> they've won two. Oh, my God. That is in competition with England. Um, but this game was great. And uh, you know what's funny? That we thought we had won it, but then we go to the final and bloody France come in. But I'm forgetting one thing. Italy won this game 3-1 at penalties. And to put Italy 3-0 up, 23-year-old Francesco Totti with the smirk on his face, he did the infamous cucchiaio. So red cards, missed the penalties, Talk about a great game. This is one of my favorites. Bask in the highlights. There is also Pelé. Pelé, sorry, watching from the stands. And uh, I don't know. It's just great. Is that the one where Totti said he was going to do a cookie and they're like, he's a madman? Yeah, and Maldini's like, I understand why we never call to the national team Roma players because they're all a bunch of retards. But then, but then, <laughs> but then Totti did score that penalty and it's one of the most iconic <laughs> penalties of all time. Rory, uh let's go to your second video second video we're gonna go for my funny clip let's go for the funny clip and this is uh obviously i listeners i know that all of my choices are so arsenal centric i realize but this is one of my favorite cult heroes of the emirates era um at arsenal and it is the abue man emmanuel abue this guy so this clip is everyone knows the clip it's only six seconds Get your phone out, watch it. It's just brilliant. The un the unnecessity of this is just genius. So it's in a group game in the 2010 World Cup where Abue is stood on the sideline. There's a break in play, and the South Korea manager is giving his instructions to his South Korean player. At which point, Abue starts nodding as if he understands Korean, nods at the instructions, and wanders off. Now, what I love about this moment is that. In the middle of a game at a World Cup, you are more concerned. You don't know necessarily if the camera's on you, but you're more concerned about making a cheap joke that potentially nobody's going to see just for your own entertainment. And if there's anything I enjoy, it's making a joke for my own entertainment. So I just (laughs) love, love this moment. And the thing about Abue is the stories that always came out about him against Arsenal while he was at Arsenal. Like, he was a player who, look... I think he's better than people remember him as. Like, he was part of that Arsenal defence that got us to the Champions League final, that didn't concede a goal in eight games. Like, he was good on his day. But Mm -hmm. he was also an absolute disaster on his day. I do remember where there was a game, we got a last-minute penalty against Liverpool to go ahead. Liverpool go up the other end, and Abue just runs into the back of Dirk Coit for no reason, gives Liverpool another penalty, and they get to equalise. So he definitely had his moments. But the the story that always stands out to me about him is that there was a point in at Arsenal where Gilberto Silva was our captain, right? So he decides to throw a party, and it's quite a formal party at his house to introduce himself as captain, have the squad round, bit of team building. This is not a fancy dress party, right? But Abue <laughs> decides to dress up in a tiger onesie with tail and helmet and spends the entire party hiding <laughs> behind furniture and doorways and jumping out at his teammates. <laughs> that is right? fucking brilliant, dude. <laughs> Just again, for his own entertainment, right? Um, 
at this point, Adebayor described him as he's funnier than some comedians. Now, this I, I, I don't know why I love this quote so much, but he's like, he's funnier than some comedians. When he eats, he sometimes puts food up his nose. <laughs> God damn it. It never so it's not kid. even that funny. Like, I don't know, but it really makes me laugh. Really makes me laugh. And then the last bit on a buoy is a moment where, so they have like a members day at Arsenal. I think they do it at most clubs where if you're a member, you can watch them train in the stadium, right? So it's usually quite calm and like, you know, a bit chill. And um, they're announcing all the players on and all the players kind of stumble on and give a wave to the crowd. <laughs> and the buoy comes on and he just laces it on the pitch at full pelt. He sees this ball and just boots it into the crowd. <laughs> and then just starts doing star jumps and flips and like shit, waving at the crowd and stuff. He's like, this guy is an absolute genius. Like, I don't know. He said he wanted to be the new Eddie Murphy. Now, I honestly think he's one of the funniest footballers I've seen. Like, just naturally stupidly funny. I don't know. And this clip with the South Korea, I remember seeing it and just being like, what is he doing? Rory, you're the, you the professional DM slider. You should slide into his DMs and oh, see if he's up God, for an interview getting, with the Anglo-Italian pod. Getting a Bue man on would be fantastic. Now, this guy's story, it gets a little bit dark, but then... Because it's me, it gets a little bit dark, but I promise we're coming. We're, there's light at the other end. Unfortunately, at the end of his career, he went through all sorts of shit, like mismanagement with his agent, ended up in trouble, like financial trouble, depression, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But now he's back in the Ivory Coast. He's opened up Emmanuel Labue Football Club. He's got an academy for kids, and by all accounts, he's doing really well. So. When he went through all those issues, I know that Arsenal were really keen to help him. They gave him a job and like he was an ambassador. He was an ambassador for the club for a while, which is like Christ alive. Um, so they gave him a job. Galatasaray helped him, but now he's doing really well again. And it's just a player that I just love him. Even though he wasn't that great, I just really like him. And the, this clip just gets me every time. Yeah, the Eddie Murphy from uh, at the Ivory Coast. Yeah, the, the idea of him pushing carrots or something up his nose will always make me laugh. I don't know. White carrots. Uh, I don't know. I imagine food. that they're eating like English healthy food, which is boiled veg. I don't know. God, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, let, let's not investigate. That's something that grosses me out big time, uh, <laughs> especially after spending one month this summer with kids who were doing mm. fuck all at the dinner table. And I was just like... Man, one time, well, no, not I'm, nice. not gonna go, yeah, I'm not going to go into that. It's not nice. Yeah. My second pick, since it was his birthday yesterday, a Serie A legend turned 44, one of the most underrated strikers, in my opinion, to ever bless Serie A. We are talking, ladies and gentlemen, about Toto Di Natale. So you should type, you should click the link on the description or type Antonio Di Natale, best Serie A goals, throwback Serie A. Yes, Rory? I have to say, this is another player for translation, Tony Christmas. We've Tony, Timmy Chestnuts and Tony Christmas. Tony Christmas, exactly. Antonio Di Natale, an incredible career. He has scored 200 and odd goals in the Serie A. And what is very surprising for a player that was born in Naples, and usually all players born in Naples, they have a strong connection to the Napoli Football Club. He's never played for them. He moved north to Empoli in 1996, played there for eight years, scoring 49 league goals. 
Then he went on a few loans to Iperzola, Varese, and Viareggio. And then he found his home well away from home in northeastern Italy, all the way in Udine, where he played for Udinese for a grand total of 12 years. Now, what I remember about Di Natale at the beginning of every season, I was just like, oh my God, towards the end of his career, I was like, Udinese really can't move on. Di Natale still, Di Natale still. And then it usually took him 30 minutes of football to prove me wrong and score an absolute banger. This guy was an absolute poet when it came to like picking the top corner, chipping the goalkeeper. You'll see a few of those. He was incredible. My favorite one that you will see in that video is uh, a goal in 2009 against Parma. There is this loose ball outside the edge of the box. The goalkeeper, at that point, he thinks that the defense has cleared it. And, man, it's so difficult. Di Natale, with the back-to-goal, he sees the ball drop, completely turns 180, and hammers it in on the far post. The goalkeeper, you can see him kicking the post repeatedly because I can I can picture what he's thinking. He's just like, God damn it, fucking Di Natale once again. It's great. Toto Di Natale, happy birthday, happy belated birthday. But, yeah, it's a video that you should see. And a quick story about Natale, which always stands out and tells you about the person that he is. Um, I believe a teammate of his died on the pitch and he had a disabled sister, I think. And Natale took it upon himself to say that I will take care of um, this guy's sister as long as I'm like alive, basically. And it just shows that he's a really like, I don't know, obviously how much this teammate meant to him and how much the teammate's family meant to him. Um, and it just shows what kind of guy he is. I don't know. I think it really sums up his character. Now Udinese are looking after her as well. But I think it's just a really nice kind of, it's a nice story. It's a heartwarming story about him. And for the people who have just started following Serie A in the last few years um, and don't know about Antonio Di Natale, he's a bit of a quagliarella, right? Mm. Um he played until he was pretty old, but st- always scored bangers. And yes, he did play alongside Alexis Sanchez for quite a bit when they were both at Udinese. What a star power to have up front. Toto Di Natale oh. and Alexis Sanchez. And a Sanchez. young Alexis Sanchez, a hungry Alexis Sanchez. And for third video, Rory went for something very heartwarming and I went for something absolutely ridiculous. Rory, um, praise to you for picking that video. I had forgotten about that story. Shall we go for absolute uh, ridiculous things or for that one? No, first? we can end on ridiculousness. Look, we've got you, we've got all the all the all your bases covered from heartwarming, depression ridiculous we've got banter we've got it all all right we've got right and off you go um so the last clip is now this is an incredible incredible moment now on youtube um you can search copper 90 to a great great uh 15 minute documentary on it and it's called how a world cup qualifier stopped a war and this is didier drogba after um after a World Cup qualifier, which we'll get into, um, he called for all of the um, the forces in the uh, Civil War in Ivory Coast to lay down their weapons. And it's an incredible moment. So it's in 2005. Ivory Coast are trying to qualify for the 2006 World Cup. The Civil War in Ivory Coast has been going on for four years between the Muslim North 
and the Christian government-backed South. This was a really like awful war. 4,000 people died, millions of people displaced, and it was tearing the country apart. Now, the thing is, this Ivory Coast bomb was made up, obviously, of people from both sides of this argument, right? So Ivory Coast, have they're in the same group as Cameroon. They are one point above Cameroon, and they need to win. They are playing at home, and they're playing, sorry, they're playing away to Sudan, and they need to win. Meanwhile, Cameroon are playing at home against Egypt. Ivory Coast win 3-1, so they've done their job, right? They have done their job, but Cameroon and Egypt is still nil-nil. In uh, Abidjan, they're still waiting for the final whistle to go, and then they hear the 94th minute, Cameroon have been given a penalty. But thankfully, they missed the penalty, and Ivory Coast qualified for their first ever World Cup. So all the players obviously run into the change room celebrating, but rather than celebrating, what Drogba does is he calls in the the national media, he gets all the squad together, he has Colo Torre, who is a Muslim player, and he has a Christian player on one arm, And he appeals to the country and says, please lay down your weapons. This team has shown that everybody in Ivory Coast deserves to exist. Everybody in Ivory Coast deserves to be proud of this country. We're going to the World Cup and we're going to need all of you to support us. Then all of the team get onto their knees and they say, like, we plead with you to please stop this fighting. And it worked. From that second, the fighting stopped. And from there, eventually, it where it led to pre- peace treaties and alliances. And even more incredibly, like what, watching the video, Didier Drogba is like beyond any politician or beyond any leader, beyond a footballer. He is like a god to people in Ivory Coast. The way that he, the changes he made. So after this, he wins African Player of the Year, right? And Ivory Coast have only ever played all their games in Abidjan. But what he does is he says the next game we are playing in the city of Buake, which was the city that was the center of the fighting. So it's the city that was in the middle of the country. He says, we're playing our game there so that we can show that the country is united. And now they play their they play their games in different stadiums. And it's like just the influence that this player and a great player that we've talked about many times, despite the fact he scored against Arsenal all the time, um, a great player... The, I just love that he he cared about his country so much at this moment and made such a huge difference. I'm super glad you picked this clip because I remember the story. As soon as I turned on the video, I was like, yup, I remember it now. I didn't remember it was so big. I thought mm. it was about a specific event, but it was about a war that had been going on for months. So it was huge. A few tech- years, years, four years. A few takeaways from this video. So, of course, in the in the locker room, everybody's super happy. They're jumping around. But as Drogba, you can see that he understands that he's got that responsibility. And as soon as he sees, he's handed the microphone, he, like, looks frantically for the first camera. And then in front of the camera, and here I have to say it, I'm lucky enough to have studied it. French is a beautiful mm-hmm. language. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he looks at the camera. He looks super serious. He's got, as Rory said, these two players on his sides. He has this incredible speech. He doesn't stutter once. He knows exactly no. what he needs to say. And then they all sit down. They do this sort of prayer. And then they're up again. And they're all jumping and having a great time. 
And there is a moment where Abue accidentally walks in on shot. So even then he kind of ruins it. <laughs> yeah, and probably and probably as a drug by making this super heartfelt speech, he puts like a carrot up his nose yeah, or something yeah. like that. Does not Put understand. The tiger onesie away for fuck's sake, not now. <laughs> <laughs> not now, that's for later, Ibue. But yeah, that's a great pick, Rory. And the spin zone. Shh, Let's move to bullshit. <laughs> uh, now, Tommy, you need to defend your choice here. You need to, no, guys, need to this defend is, it. This is single-handedly one of my favorite uh, comedy clips of all time. But guess what? It's not fucking comedy. So a bit uh, of context. So there are these three. This clip is in Italian, by the way. And if you can't understand it, the laughter of these three people should, or just the tone of their voice. Mm-hmm. It's very Italian. It will make you laugh. So these uh, three comedians, they're called the Jalapas Band. Uh, They started working on the Italian radio, and then they had a brilliant idea. They were like, let's move to television entertainment, but we're never going to show our faces. And so they started featuring in these great comedy shows where you never saw their faces, but you could always hear their voices. And so they would interact with the comedians on stage, and they would also commentate clips. They became very famous with a show called My Dire Goal, which means never say goal. They would collect the clips at a time when it wasn't so easy. Mm. They would collect the clips from all over the world, week in and week out, and just highlight the situations in which players miss the sitters, right? Or they would try to score from midfield, or and the ball would just end up outside the stadium. Of course, they would decorate it all with ridiculous sounds like, <laughs> oh, do you think he's going to score? And then it's like, nope, Where, he's uh... not. Yeah, 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 that, that type of stuff. Then um, they moved on to different TV shows. And eventually, um, this clip is from the Winter Olympics uh, held in Salt Lake City, I believe, in 2002. Now, you probably know the story by Stephen Bradbury, the Australian who won a gold medal in short track speed skating. I thought of this clip because I did read that yesterday. I did read yesterday that it's an expression that they use in Australia to pull a Bradbury, which means to make it in an impossible situation. So the clip is in Italian. The original commentary is in Italian, but then it's uh, overcommentated by these three guys that I was mentioning earlier. Why is this story so crazy? Because Stephen Bradbury goes through to the semifinals to, due to the disqualification of an opponent. I don't know for what. But so he's at the semifinals, right? And that's where the video starts. The Italian original commentator says... already, because I've got the image in my head. It's like the Italian original commentator is like, so this is a five-man semifinal, but it's as if four men only were competing. And the other one is like, yeah, Bradbury is nowhere uh, close to the other ones in terms of skill and everything. But so turns out, this is short track speed skating, which... I just think it's weird that you would get into that sport to start with. But, hey, Australian people are crazy, and they love all about it. So Yeah, what happens, on a hell of a life. Jesus. Uh, yeah, what, what happens? At the last, at the last uh, lap, three out of five people <laughs> fall on the ground, and he arrives second. He qualifies <laughs> for the final. And once again, you can hear the original commentary going into the final, 
where they say, yeah, Stephen Bradbury really pulled off a miracle. And the other guy goes, yeah, but that's a once-in-a-lifetime miracle. And so these three guys that are over-commentating it, they're just like, listen to these people just lagging him off. And then, <laughs> next thing you know, dude, I'm no expert in, in fucking speed skating, but he looks clumsy as fuck. He looks like a bear. <laughs> yeah, he he's not graceful at all. He's not the other, graceful. The other people, you know, they're keeping their shape and they're speeding through yeah. the track and it looks beautiful. And he's always the last one by like, meters he's like 10 meters behind the other ones and he's probably thinking fuck i'm making a fool of myself but then what happens not three people fall down all of them fall down <laughs> and stephen bradbury just raises his arms up to the it's... sky crosses the finish line <laughs> and he's awarded the fucking olympic gold medal it's the most beautiful sport that's story the, thing, the way time. he just holds his arms out like holy shit <laughs> like, and yeah. all right i was trying since of course we're an english podcast and the vast majority of our listeners are for our native english speakers i was looking for a steve bradbury video in english but there is no banter it's just like no. one of them is without the commentary but i did find one where he's interviewed and i loved the explanation he's got an eyebrow piercing and I just, <laughs> love, I just love the explanation for the celebration. He goes, I cannot make an impression of an Australian accent, unfortunately. I wish I could. But he just says, you know, I'm not the type of guy to overly celebrate. I don't like to go super crazy, you know, to just like scream and everything. So I just lifted my arms up to the sky. And I was thinking all along, you have no fucking right to celebrate like crazy, man. But the fact that this interview was recorded in 2000, 10, eight years after the medal, and he hasn't realized how lucky he fucking was. It's just like, <laughs> oh, you know, he what? has. Come on, that is yeah, like he, massively of, of course, he has. Of, of course, he has. Of course, he has. And of course, he's <laughs> smiling throughout. But the fact that he justifies the celebration is like, yeah, I'm not the type to go crazy and like jump into the stands. Of course not, dude. You didn't. You didn't win out of skill. You win out of sheer luck. But maybe who knows? It was all a technique. Stay behind, behind everybody else, far it away. It could have been a tactic. It could have been to just knock one of their feet and they all go down. I love the fact that, like, and it would happen in any country, I think. But in Australia now, he'll be like a bigger legend because of how he won. Oh, they will yeah. just absolutely fucking love it. Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like more than if he'd been world class and like roasted them. They love it more that he won this way, definitely. I loved that also Rory knows this clip very well. Um, guys, enjoy it. It's not football-related, but it's absolutely worth it. Yeah, it's glorious. The, glorious. That was it for our choice. We hope you will enjoy six these six videos. Please let us know. If you want to slide into our DMs, leave a comment under our YouTube video. Um, but I believe it's time to jump to the infamous one-minute-to-kickoff quiz. Well, I think the listeners are aware. I always enjoy the YouTube clip um, episodes. I kind of have to. I have to admit something. I've kind of stolen this idea from another pod, like the socially distant sports bar. If you've not listened to it, it's hilarious. But they do a kind of a clip, a documentary, and a clip. Um, but I really enjoy it. it. It's it means you can talk about so many different things around football, not just what the latest game was or the latest goal. So I really enjoy it. I hope the listeners enjoyed it, Tommy. What about you? I always enjoy talking about that game, Italy Netherlands. Oh mm -hmm. my god. Talk about Classic. an 
talk about an undeserved win because Netherlands dominated. But then if you miss five penalties out of seven that you're awarded, you kind of deserve to go out. But um, yeah, I don't know. Memories from when I was a kid and Francesco told the man that celebration. I would remember it forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's beautiful. Time. Well, it's time for the quiz, Tommy. So last week I did woefully, I think it's fair to say, on the career of El Phenomeno. The only question I got right wasn't about him. So that's quite embarrassing this time, Tommy. Hopefully it's your turn to have a woeful performance. What is your chosen topic this week? My chosen topic is the career and deeds of Gianluigi Buffon. And here we are with the scores set at 13 to my fine self and 7 to Tommy. Tommy, are you ready to try and claw back this lead and see how many you can get about the great man himself, Gianluigi Buffon? Well, I remember the teams he's played for. I know a few other things. <laughs> well, he's played for two teams. Um, I, rem- I know a few things about Buffon, but let's see if I can score six. I just want to put a lot of pressure on you. I guess four would already be good. Let's see. I'm ready whenever you are. Okay, here we go in three, two, one. How many World Cup squads was Buffon in? Four. No. Number two, which team did he make his professional debut against? AC Milan. Good. Which player has he played alongside the most in his career? Alessandro Del Piero. No. Not counting the penalty shootout, how many goals did Buffon concede in the 2006 World Cup tournament? Zero. And one. One. Oh, both are wrong answers. Okay, number five. What years did he win his first and last Serie A titles? His first Serie A title must have been in uh, 2001. And uh, his last one was in uh, 2020. Good. Okay, next one. The heaviest defeat of his career came in a 5-1 loss. But who was he playing against? Uh... AC Milan. No. And final question. Of course, he was always number one, but can you name any other number he has worn on the back of his shirt during his career? 88. No. Tommy, you are out of time. So you got, let me tot it up. Tommy, you only get two right. I've got to say, I'm a little bit relieved. I thought you were going to catch me up there, but should we go through where you went right and where you went wrong? Yes, and uh, about the last question, I have something to say, but let's go through them from number one. All right, I'm listening. Okay, so here we go. Number one, how many World Cup squads was Buffon in? This was a bit of a trick question, but he was in the 1998 squad, but he did not play. The 2002, yeah. 2006, 2010, and 2014. So yeah, a bit of a tricky question, but no, he, it's right. he in total. Yeah, he was in, he was in the squad, but he didn't get to play. Yup, 1998 France World Cup. Let's go with the second one. The second one. Which team did he make his professional debut against? You got this one correct, Tommy. That was against AC Milan. Um, I've seen that Palmer, clip. of course. Yeah, I've seen that clip quite a few times on Instagram, on television. Uh, very young Buffon making a very, very good save against AC Milan. Good. <laughs> then we have number three. 
Which player has he played alongside the most? Now, this number, Tommy, is going to absolutely blow your mind. It is, of course, Giorgio Chiellini. And they've played together in 428 matches. Oh, my God. 428 games. He's seen Chiellini more than his wife, probably. Wife. <laughs> Wives and I imagine combined. she might be quite happy about that. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah the, by now, they must have some kind of like psychic link or I don't know. Yeah. Can you imagine seeing anyone that much, working with anyone that many times? Yeah, and then you see them in training as well, week in, yeah, yeah. Out, day in, day out. Yep, yep, yep. Little bromance at Juventus right there. <laughs> Definitely. And number four, so not counting the penalty shootout, how many oh, goals yeah. did he concede in the 2006 World Cup campaign? It was two, one versus the USA and yep. one versus France, which was a penalty, but not in the well, Yeah, it was at the shootout. I didn't hear a shootout. It's hard, guys, when you're sitting on this chair, some words you just don't hear. But it's funny because uh, we got scored against only from the penalty spot, Zidane, and against USA. It was an incredible own goal by Christian mm-hmm. Zaccardo, the man who tries to find the teams to play for on LinkedIn. We've, <laughs> we've mentioned it before, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we saw him on there, right? Was that him? World champion. Can you believe it? Yeah, and now he's on LinkedIn looking for teams to play for. (laughs) (laughs) Number five, next one. So, Tommy, I was impressed you got this one. This was good work. What years did he win his first and last Serie A titles? The first one was indeed in the 01-02 season, and his last one was in the 1920 season. 1920, not 1920, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, he didn't play <laughs> in the 20s, all right? And good, number six, the next one. The heaviest defeat of his career came in a 5-1 loss, but who was it against? It was against Inter, Tommy. You need to start guessing for Inter a bit more. It was Inter versus Palmer, 1999. Zamorano getting two. Vieri, a player, I have no idea who it is, Moriero. Moriero, yeah. Inter Milan, uh, I think he was a midfielder. He's Italian from Lecce, I believe. Curly and dude. an own goal from the player who he played with the second most times, Lillian Taram, in a mm. 5-1 defeat. I thought for a heaviest defeat, that's not that heavy a defeat, really, is it? Five? I don't know. No, yeah, it can be, if you play at Barcelona, it can be eight. Um, <laughs> right? If you play at Arsenal, it can be eight. No, but you know uh, what was tricky? I was thinking of Buffon at Juventus, and I was like, I've never, I would remember Inter defeating mm. Juventus 5-1. Um, but yeah. Again, right. it's another bit of a tricky question, I suppose. And then the last one, of course, he was always number one for Italy. But can you name any other number he has worn on the back of his shirt? It was 77 at Juve and 18 at PSG. Now I have something to say about this one. Look at the picture that I'm holding up on my phone in front of the camera. He's oh, at Parma oh. wearing <laughs> a number 88 jersey. And uh, I even found an article on The Guardian. I was very quick because I was like, this one is right. He was heavily criticized for picking number 88 at Parma by the Italian Jewish community because 88 also stands as HH. H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. And it means among the neo-Nazi communities, Heil, that guy with the last yeah. name that starts with an H. <laughs> yeah, not going to yeah. say it on the pod. No, no, it's probably not a good idea. Right? It could be clipped quite easily. Well, that's irritating. Um, I was just giving Transfer Marked all the credit, and now they've <laughs> shafted me and stabbed me in the back, the bastards. I'll be writing to them. I will be writing to them. So I will give you the point, I suppose. You have three now. So that puts it at 13-10. You're within one quiz of, of getting above me, I think. 
Rory, it's now your turn to pick your topic for next week. On the spot. Go. On the spot. I'm going to say, okay, the championship in the UK slash the second division. All right. All right. So across the, the, the history of the competition. Yeah. Oh, Christ. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> There's a lot of like, history. Yeah, don't yeah. look at me like that. You pick the topic. Yeah. Uh, nice. I'm pretty satisfied. Come on. 13 to 10. I, I started in a terrible way this season, but uh, hopefully I'll catch up and eventually I feel like overtake It's kind of like you. Kevin Keegan's Newcastle. I had a really big lead and now I'm just seeing it disappear quickly. So I would love it, love it, if I actually turn up next week. We will see. But ladies and gentlemen, we've gotten to the end of yet another episode. Remember to always follow us on Instagram at AngloItalianPod, on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, and also give a follow to our favorite sponsor, our only sponsor, Sports Club Maps. You can find, us on, find them on Instagram, on Twitter, and why not? Go check out their website. And now for our customary quote for the first time in the history of the pod, pod, we report a Twitter thread that happened between Bayern Leverkusen and the few people who were trying to diminish their history, I believe. So you've all seen that on Twitter, there is this very stupid, in my opinion, red flag trend. But so let's see what happened with the Bayern Leverkusen account. They tweeted, I don't watch Bundesliga. A bunch of red flags. And someone at CFC Sajad said, Bayern buys all your best players. It's literally a one-team league. And Bayer clapped back, we haven't sold the player to Bayern since 2004. And finally, Jeff underscore Faf gets involved with, well, you haven't produced a top talent since 2004 then. Thumbs up emoji. <laughs> and Bayer Leverkusen clapped back heavily with... The last top talent we produced literally scored the Champions League winning goal in 2021. That's all from the Anglo-Italian pod. We'll talk to you on Monday night for our Euroview show on Twitch and YouTube. Have a good weekend. 